this is a special weekend. This is our 10-year anniversary. And last year, like I said, I, or last week, I almost said 25. So I was like, hey, maybe I'm in the wrong place, but I think we're going to be there. But this is so exciting. We've got a treat for you today. Our director, our national director of Vineyard USA, Phil Strout here, is with us today to share what God has poured on his heart for this past 10 years, the next 10 years. And he, it's just so great. Heard it the first service, and it just blew me away what God has spoken to his heart for our church. But before he comes up, check out this video. Good morning, Vineyard Church. How are you? Happy birthday. <laughs> Ten years. You've done it. It's good. Good. My name's Phil. I work with the Vineyard uh, here in the USA and uh, part of uh, uh, 575 congregations here in the United States and about another close to 3,000 outside the U.S. that we work with. So this is like uh, being home wherever we go every weekend. Uh, Jan and I feel at home because it's the Vineyard Church. And uh, this community church here in Richmond, Kentucky is one of many. And uh, about, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, I got a text uh, at my house. I live in Maine. I work out of Houston. I know that's an easy commute, right? Um, but I got a text, and it was a guy just said, uh, hey, we're going to be popping into the neighborhood. We, we found out where you lived, and, and uh, we'd like to know if you'd mind if we stopped in for an hour. So I text back and say, well, who are you? <laughs> oh, he said, oh, yeah, yeah, Joe Wood and my wife Janice. We were on a motorcycle trip up the Maine, and we were at the conference this past summer, and we just thought, hey, we're going to be in Maine. Let's pop in and see Phil and Jan. So I said, sure, pop on in. I have no idea who this character was. Uh, and about, I don't know, a couple of hours later in the afternoon, sure enough, a couple of Harleys pulled up or whatever they were, and they introduced themselves. We had a wonderful time. We invited them into our backyard, uh, Jan and I, and, you know, just they started telling us the story and, and the uh, planting of the church here in Richmond. And I, we said, hey, you know, it's lunchtime. Why don't we give you, give you guys some dinner before you go on your way? They were going over to Poland Spring to see a relative there in Maine. And he goes, oh, no, no, no. He says, I'm good. We're good. We're good. We'll, we'll eat later. We're good. And I said, you know, after a while, we're still sitting there talking. And I said, really? I mean, dude, you know, we're, we're hospitable. We'd, we'd love to feed you. He goes, no, no, no. We're good. We're good. We don't want to impose. But what he didn't tell me was he was on his way to a lobster bake. And he really wasn't interested in a, in a ham sandwich. You know, he was holding out for the lobster. And thus began a, a, a relationship with Pastor Joe and Janice and and uh, it's, it's been rich ever since. We, we've, been, uh, we've been here before. And uh, oh, I don't know when it was, several months ago. I, I'm quite sure it was several months ago. Uh, Joe called me on the phone. He said, Phil, we're doing our 10th anniversary this year. You know, could you come, you know, hang out for a weekend? I said, mark it down. I, we'll, we'll make it work. And uh, so that's what this is all about. I didn't realize, it, uh, you know, it's been a hard weekend for the Wood family. And, and yet you, you've all picked it up. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, this whole thing. So I, this morning, I want to talk about what it means to be a local church and a long adventure. Not local church and a short adventure. Local church and a long adventure. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to dive into this stuff. Are we good with that? All right, good. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for this weekend. Thank you for the Vineyard Community Church here in Richmond, Lord. Thank you for Pastor Joe and Pastor Janice, Lord, all that they've done to pour into this congregation with all the team and all the young people and middle-aged people, older people, seasoned saints, little children. Thank you, God. This, is, this just feels like a family here. 
So, Father, as we dive into this, I, I pray that you would help us um, consider what sustainability means in a local church and in our Christian walk, in our walk with you. Help us, God. Would you bring revelation to an understanding of how this actually works? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, it's so important to celebrate. Stop for a moment, really, you know, thank God. Recall, look at the videos, share with one another. I know some folks have come back into town that maybe you went to school here and then you've gone on. And, and uh, I guess once you get out of college, they boot you from mooching off the pastor. And so you just go make a life somewhere else in the world, right? And uh, so you're celebrating. And, and it was celebration, when you're in a transition, celebration is crucial. Because the, the, the different markers in life and why we celebrate anniversaries and birthdays and milestones, things like that, it's because it, it keeps us in a big heart of gratitude. But there's also another piece of it. When you celebrate the past well, it gives you the greatest freedom to discover the future. Because you don't live with nostalgia, you only celebrate what happened. But you don't then pine away with nostalgia, wishing that you could do it again. So when you celebrate the past, it then gives you a freedom to say, and what is next? And there's a difference between our Christian journey in a dynamic way or a static way. And what I mean by that, I'm going to actually put the, the words up so we, we're, we're working on the same definition. When I talk about transformational reality, trans, the power of the gospel to transform a life, I, when I use the word dynamic, this is what I mean. And, and this is just, it's just basically a, a fundamental definition of the word. It's not a, a, the theological piece of it. But it's usually dynamic means it's marked by usually continuous and productive activity or change. There is motion. Unfortunately, words morph. And sometimes today, when we use the word dynamic, what we think is exciting. Oh, wow, what's the latest and the greatest? And it's one of the, one, I have a dear friend uh, from, uh, in the UK, and he goes, he's always saying, because you get into words like this, and what we mean today in the 21st century, where the word actually, the etymology of the word, where it came from, isn't, they don't always match. And he goes, the problem with words are you don't know where they've been. So dynamic, oftentimes, we, we think excitement, and really it's just movement. And it can be very slow movement, but very important movement. Static, on the other hand, is characterized by a lack of movement, animation, or progression, showing little change, as in a static population. Uh, a static demographic. You, you look at an area and they take a census in the county and you realize the county has not grown in the last five years. What do they call that? They call that a static population. There's no movement. And then you take a piece of the country and they, they say, well, that's a di it's just a, a steady 20-year dynamic uh, growth. And they don't mean that it's just shot off the chart. Well, they mean it. There's just been movement. I share that because I liken the Christian journey to this, to this, this reality. We're always, 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 always moving forward. We're always going on. We're all, we're, we, may not, we're, we may not get there first, but we're, we're moving. We're growing. There's, so, there's a motion to this. There's a, a further revelation. You can almost tell, and you know, if you've been around the church long, not just this particular church, but church life, you can almost tell, unfortunately, um, 
how this works in, in, a, in a way of a congregation when it's static. And maybe, you know, they got all the doctrines right, they got the theology right, etc., the methodologies, the strategic and tactical plans, the budget, but you know, is there a spiritual dynamic actually happening here? A growth in the revelation, an awakened love of God. How much God, how much God really cares. Growth is that the growth in that is very, very important. Jan and I have been on this journey for quite a while. I don't come from a Christian background, uh, but I, good news is I am a Christian now. Uh, but I didn't start out this way. Uh, Jan and I, uh, well, I, I was just a 16-year-old punk kid in high school in the state of Maine, sort of living for the weekend type thing, getting ready to go to college, and and. Uh, this drop-dead gorgeous girl, prettiest girl in our high school came up to me, invited me to a, to a meeting. I didn't know it was a Christian meeting. and uh, I'd never heard the gospel before ever in my life. She invited me to the meeting. I went. They were talking about Jesus. It all made, it was like wild because I was like the least likely uh, 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 victim uh, of, of the whole community. Actually, what they had had, they had, a, they had a meeting the night before. I didn't know about this. They, they, a church meeting. I'd never been to church meeting like that. But they, they, the guy who was doing the talking, he said, um, he said, go to your high schools tomorrow and invite the most messed up kids in the high school to the meeting. <laughs> I got seven invitations to that one meeting. <laughs> so I went to the meeting, and I'd known some of these kids since kindergarten. I'm a junior in high school at the time, but I, I'd known these guys. And, and I, but I didn't know they were followers of Jesus. They'd never blown their cover. They, they never, they never, they never said anything. But when I, what I heard that night and what I experienced, and I, I just knew that was it. And the girl who invited me, she, she, you know, she was sitting there, and afterwards, you know, they, they, they talked about Jesus, forgiveness of sin. I had a PhD in sin at 16, and, and so nobody had to convince me. It was just I didn't know that there was forgiveness. I didn't know there was a new life. I didn't, I didn't know any of that. But as they, this guy shared, and by the end of it, I was totally convinced, like, I'm in. I don't know what you have to do, but I'm in. Long story short is this girl afterwards talked to me. She goes, you know, what do you think? And I was like, I don't know how you do this, but if, if this is real, who wouldn't want this? So I'm like buying in. Because I understood, if, if, if this God they're talking about, this Jesus loves me, and he forgives me, he'll give me a new life, and... I mean, I was only 16, but I, I mean, I had really messed it up. And I, I had a couple of questions. I just made them up. I hadn't thought much about them, but she was pretty, and, you know, I tried to make an impression. And I said, well, you know, what about the children of China and hunger? The first time I thought of that in my life, at that moment. She goes, oh, that's a wonderful question. And she had a 40-pound Thompson chain reference Bible. She opened it. She showed me a verse in the Bible. I said, well, what about the dinosaurs? Showed me another verse. And I said, well, what about the stars? Oh, that's a great one. I asked her six questions. Every time I asked her a question, she just flipped through her Thompson chain reference Bible and showed me the Bible. I'd never read the Bible. I'd never looked in the Bible before. And after, after six questions, she nailed them, nailed them, exactly what I was asking. I thought, did that chick write that book? How does she know that stuff? Well, long story short is, you know, that night I received Christ. And, and I fell in love with that girl. It, it, three, it took me three weeks. I fell in love with her. I was 16. And she's sitting right there. And we've been married for 44 years. 
So three weeks later, three weeks, this is 1974, three weeks later, I go to my father. I said, I've met the girl I want to marry. I'd known her for three weeks. And he goes, my, my dad never said you. I had a phenomenal father. He never said you. He said we. He goes, well, son, we're not getting married at 16. <laughs> and I thought to myself in a little sarcasm, like, I don't want to marry you, dad. I want to marry her. <laughs> and, I, and he says, well, you know, you have university, to, you know, so let's talk about this in six, seven, six, you know, six years, whatever. And I go, well, dad, come on. I'm not waiting six years. This is the girl I want to marry. He goes, well, we're not getting married until at least we're out of high school. I go, all right, year and a half, I can do that. So I did, I waited a year and a half. I graduated on the 11th of June, and married, Jan and I got married on the 14th of June. I waited three days. <laughs> and by then, I had become an absolute revolutionary for Jesus. We were out to change the world. So we got married on the 14th. We went fishing for a honeymoon, and uh, that's what you do in Maine. You go fishing for your honeymoon. And then, about 10 days later, we, with our zip together, sleeping bags and backpacks, we were off to Brazil. That was in the summer of 1975. So, and this is all we've ever done. It started out in, in that type of a journey, much like you guys did 10 years ago. But now, it's almost as though we're in, a, in a time zone, I think back of these last 44 years, there was just in July or June, we celebrated 44 years of marriage, and in July celebrated 44 years in ministry. And we know a little bit about longevity and fruitful longevity. We understand what it is where a church like yours, you've come to this 10th year and you're marking it out saying, we've done this for 10 years. God has raised up this amazing church. There's a lot of motion here. You can tell. You just walk through the door and you get a, you get a, you get a buzz just by walking through the doors. You haven't even had a donut yet. It, 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 just, it just sort of, it's contagious. We're living at a, at a time also, you know, uh, some of the churches Jan and I have worked with in the vineyard churches we work with now all over the world, uh, we have churches that are 20, 30, and 40 years old. So we know a little bit about long runs with churches, churches that Jan and I have planted in South America and Brazil and Chile. Uh, we have one of our churches in Chile that we started in 1985 in Santiago, very urban, very urban church, a metropolis of four million people. And that church has since, we, we planted in 85, spent a number of years there. That church has now multiplied out 24 times. There's 24 new congregations from that one, and they now celebrate that. They did the 20, they did the 25. They're up to 35 years now. They've been going, next year will be their 35th anniversary. And a, 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 a church, another church for us was a Portland, Maine, and they're in their, they're in their 20... 50, 25 years, something like that. I can't remember. But we've watched this longevity. So when Joe asked me to come and talk, you know, say congratulations, it, it's that, that's big in my heart because I want to see congregations that made up of individuals who are going at this for the long haul, that it's not something that's, that's quick and, and easy, where there's been a, 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 an incredible revelation of this long haul with God. And I, I have found through the years, you know, just very honestly, I've found through the years that, that you have to want to stay at this for a long time. And it's not as though it's abracadabra. I think we would all agree with that. I think we would all know, and it's not just the zeal of the moment or the excitement of the latest and greatest thing that's coming out of some of the, 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 the churches or movements 
around the globe, I think we know it's an inside job. I mean, so that you're walking with Jesus in 2019, but you'll be walking with Jesus in 2029. You'll be walking with Jesus, the Lord tarries in 2039. I mean, we just feel like we're sort of like, you know, moving forward with this. We've, we've been doing this a long time, but we've been in love with Jesus for a lot of years, like many of you. Some of you are just starting your love journey with God. Some of you, maybe this is your first real experience in a community of people who are following Jesus. But I, I can say honestly, there's a reality to, I have been in love with Jesus, I am in love with Jesus, and I want to be in love with Jesus in 10 years, but that is not abracadabra. That is not que sera, sera, what will be, will be. No, that is, there's, there's something to this, and I think we have a lot of light in the scriptures about this. There's something about a human psyche that's fascinated with the new and vogue and the latest and the greatest and the wow. Just for, as an illustration, I think everybody in this room, I mean, Jan and I live in the woods. We live in the country. We're homesteaders. We've taken a piece of land, built a small farm on it. Uh, we, 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 we don't have any light wash from an urban center or anything. Like we, are, we're truly, we truly do live in the woods. So when we go out at night and sit, you know, sit on the back lawn in the back patio, when I look up at the sky, I mean, I get a, we get a full wash of the sky. And, you know, you see these novas up there, supernovas and these brilliant stars. And isn't it, I, I, many of you, any stargazers here, any of you enjoy looking at the sky? I, I'm, I'm like a big fan. But isn't it funny in the human psyche that you can be staring at the star, looking at the sky, just enjoying, these, these stars have been helping men and women navigate the oceans of the world for centuries. They, they show up every night. They show up every night. But you don't stand there and go, ooh, 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 oh, ooh, ooh. You don't do that. What do you do? But you let a shooting star go across the sky, and what do you do? What do you do? Did you see that? Did you see that? I mean, you know, we've had nights where we'll go take our sleeping bags, go out in the middle of the, the meadow, and our, our farm's called Slow River Meadows, and out in the middle of the meadow, just lay down our sleeping bags, especially in the middle of August, where we have media shores there in the northeast. And I mean, it's just, and you go, ooh, ooh, ooh. But there's something in us that we don't get quite as wowed by that which is constantly there. And can I tell you, our Christian journey it's about, it's constantly there. What is, how does a church make another 10-year run? How does, how do you and I, how do we, as a follower of Jesus, keep a fire burning over decades? I think that's the million-dollar question. I don't think it's a secret. My spiritual father, who is a wonderful man, uh, led us into cross-cultural work, took us to South America. We worked with him in Brazil uh, for several summers. But he always told us that, he said, Phil, ministry, life of the church, life in the kingdom, this is what he said. He said, ministries overflow, not overwork. You won't make another 10-year run because of how busy you stay. What sustains the Christian in the long haul is a dynamic, not exciting, 
but a dynamic reality of the love of God where there's a constant growing, embracing, exploring, poking, and trying to understand the great love of God. See, I look at a congregation like this, and I, uh, you know, I, I'm in my fifth decade of working with churches. I'm not worried about st strategic thinking at the Vineyard Church in Richmond. I've been around Joe long enough and Janice. I'm not worried about tactical thinking. I'm, I don't, when I think of the Richmond Vineyard, I'm not concerned about methodological thinking. How, how are you going to do all that you want to do in this county? That's not what comes to my mind. And when Joe asked me to come, I almost immediately, I mean, just, just like that, I knew basically where I was going to go with, with the Lord, just a quick download, boom. And that's usually how it happens when I get to ask, when I get asked to speak, especially addressing a, one particular congregation. A lot of times I'm addressing various congregations, but when it comes to a particular one, I really say, Holy Spirit, what would you say to them? And when you're at your 10th anniversary, I want to just take a, uh, uh, just a few more minutes, and I want to talk about the love of God and the awakened understanding of the love of God. How you can, you, how many, if I said, how many of you know God loves you? If, if I, I'm just going to do this. How many of you, and I want you to raise your hand, oh, but only if you really are serious. How many of you know God loves you? Okay, yeah, all right, that's good. Uh, that, that's, uh, but what I'm hoping I'm just planting a seed, is you understand that as you continue in your dynamic, not necessarily exciting, but in your dynamic growth as a follower of Jesus, which means you're constantly going, that you'd have a revelation of the great love of God. It's the only thing that sustains Christians for the long haul. I have one shelf in my library that I only put books on that shelf if they've been, if if the authors have worked in Christian ministry for over 50 years, so I have thousands of books of that are scattered through my library, but I've only got one shelf, and the only way the authors make that shelf is if they have if they have walked this thing out in fruitful longevity, and in investigating those guys and and gals, I realize one of their common threads is they all tell a story at some point where love and a revelation of how much God loved them awakened their soul. And some of them had been Christian leaders, leaders of denominations, mission, mission agencies around the globe. I mean, brilliant teachers, men and women who are longed, but they all, almost without exception, they all somewhere in their journey have a revelation of the love of God and they talk about the sustaining power of that revelation. Let me, let me show you real quick here in the scriptures where in the Song of Solomon, which is a love story. When's the last time you read Song of Solomon? Let me invite you. Let me urge you. Let me nudge you. If you've never read Song of Solomon, you're in for a treat. I often get said, well, well I often am asked, well, Phil, how do you explain the judgmental uh, wrathful God of the Old Testament and the loving God of the New Testament. And I'm like, have they ever read the Song of Solomon? It's this like incredible, almost embarrassing love story in the middle of the Old Testament. 
And this is, this, this is, this is awakened love. I, I, I can't go into the whole thing, so I know I'm going to sow a seed here. But in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 16, and I put it, this is written from one of the modern translations, uh, just for our benefit. But this is what it says. Song of Solomon 2.16. My lover is mine, and I am his. But you have to underline that part. My lover is mine. She's, she's awakened to love, but the way she sees it is, he's mine. He is mine. I'm his, but he's mine. He browses among the lilies before the dawn breezes blow and the night shadows flee. Return to me, my love, like a gazelle or a stag on the rugged mountains. <laughs> That's like sweet language. That's intimacy. She's like, but her love had taken one big step. He is mine. I see this so, in such a progression, the way this morphs into Revelation, how you and I are. In Song of Solomon 6.3, the young woman, she says, my lover has gone down to his garden in his spice beds to browse in the gardens, gather the lilies. I am my lover's. So, okay. First she said, no. No, no, no. She said in 2.16, my lover is mine. But now she's walking out this love. She's on this journey. And now she says, I am my lover's. And now she still says, and my lover is mine. She had a revelation at first. She, she knew she was in love. She knew she was, but she says, this, this, this is how much God loves me. My, my beloved, he's mine. This is, this is, and you know how we are in life. When we're sort of, you know, it, it, it's all about me. And even when you're awakened to the great love of God, it's still like, what do we have? It's like when somebody says, well, you know, uh, I don't go to church much anymore because I don't get much out of it. What's that? God is mine. And if it's not satisfying, it's not worth anything. But in 6.3, I love verse 3. I am my lover's and my lover is mine. Now, if we had time to really wander through this, it'd be a fascinating thing. We just don't. So fast forward to Song of Solomon 7, verse 10. Now she's, she's like now intoxicated with love. And she's had her eyes open. She goes, I am my lover's and he desires me. He just desires me. She's left. This is all about me. And she's walking into now, I'm his, and he desires me. It's very romantic, sensual. I mean, it is, it's love language. This whole thing is about the love of God. That's why in Ephesians, Paul mentions, if you want to jot it down, go do a little study on it. When, when Paul is instructing the church of Ephesus, a church just like the Richmond Vineyard Church, uh, 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 it's just a church. And he said, his, 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 well, I, I'm going to read it. I wasn't going to, but I'm willing to spend a quick minute on it. Minutes are precious in meetings like this. I'm glad I'm colorblind. I can't see the clock. So. This, this is what it says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. This is Ephesians 3, 14, but I'm going to read three or four verses. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory 
to be strengthened with the power through His Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up in all the fullness of God, that you would be rooted and grounded in love. How do you do another 10 years being rooted and grounded in love? Activity, you're not going to have any lack of activity, I can tell around here. Outreaches and all that you do, you're, gonna, you're not going to have any. But our rooting and our grounding is not even in our commitment to Christ. Our rooting and grounding, be rooted and grounded in a revelation of how much Jesus loves you. And stay with that theme. You go, well, Phil, I'm convinced. Really, how long have you been walking with God? Seven years. Really? Let's talk when you had 77 years. See, this, this is, there's really not a whole lot of debate about this. But you've got you to keep stirring in. Well, Phil, really? I mean, you're at the 10th anniversary and you're just talking about the love of God? Yes. Why? I want to see you when we come back in 30 years and celebrate uh, 40 years. Or maybe come back in 10 years at the 20-year thing. See, I, I, I just, I, we try to think a thousand ways to do this. But a friend of mine, that's you. That's before you're saved, after you're saved. When you know Jesus, you don't know Jesus, that's you. And this just good old you human. That's your capacity for the love of God. Okay? There's a capacity there. How much does God love you? And, and, and how much does God love the guy who doesn't have his life together? He's still, he's still, you know, on cocaine and, and the gal that's, you know, just out of control and an angry middle-aged man that feels life's passing him by and uh, whatever, you know, whatever. I mean, people that just don't know Jesus, their lives are whatever, you know. But you have a capacity. You have a capacity for the love of God. And we think, well, how much does God love us? Well, um, that's how much God loves us. Just, just. God loves me a little bit because I'm not a good boy. I'm not one of the guys that really have his life together. I'm a woman that doesn't have my life together. I, I, I gossip, I swear, I'm angry, and, 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 and uh, uh, I can't think of any other bad things, so we'll stop there. <laughs> but so God might, I know God loves me because Jesus died for me, so yeah, I, I can take a little bit more love. Yeah, there, there's a little love there. No, how, no, let's talk about it. How much does God love you? At 10 years with walking with the Lord, at 20 years, at 30, see, this is the intoxicating thing about this is we, we don't even have human words. This is going to be, this is a pathetic little illustration. We don't have human words to describe the love of God. The way on, the way on for, for a church, the way on as a follower of Jesus is to have constant, dynamic, steady, not exciting, understanding and revelation and keep poking and talking to God about this love affair between God and the human being. There's nothing, that, there's nothing that's going to match it. I'm all for all the other things. I, I mean, we've, like I say, we've been doing this evangelism and discipling and raising up leaders and teaching and leading. and we'll, we'll do this till we die. But I'm not confused with human activity and a revelation of the love of God. That's the motivation. That's where my roots are. What if I don't plan another church? I don't do anything else in the rest of my life. I'm good. I mean, I can't. Uh, I, anyways, how much does he love me? Oh, well, I've been a good boy, so I think he loves me pretty good. Uh, that's all. I'm almost full of God's love. I got a capacity. That I don't know if I can be loved anymore. I just, 
you know, I'm, I, well, well, you know, I did teach Sunday school for a year. Well, okay, well, a little more love there. And every time Pastor Joe says to give an offering, I do it. So I guess God loves me a little bit more. Then we think it's an incremental gig, incremental love that he pours into our heart. Or we look at people in the kingdom of God. We look at people in your county in Richmond, Kentucky, and around these surrounding things, and, and people that are just lost as a ball in tall weeds. They're just lost. They're just, there's all sorts. And how much does God love them? The same way he loves you and I. The same way he loves you and I. And, 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 and if I can illustrate, this is how God loves you. And this is why you need this revelation. If you, you, I want you to be around in 30 years. 40 years, 50 years from now, serving Jesus, loving God, loving people. But we can only love in the measure that we've actually received love. And that's why oftentimes we run out of love because we haven't been saturating our soul in revelation in the mind and the spirit of how much God loves us. So I'm taking my one shot to speak at your 10th anniversary and talk to you about a revelation of awakened love and that God has more love for you than you ever, 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 ever will understand. You'll spend the rest of your life trying to contemplate how big it is, the love of God. And this is really how he loves you. It's not just filling. Okay, you're a good human being, so we're going to give you a little extra. Yeah, because I go to Richmond Vineyard, so he's got to really love me. Before you ever take a step towards God, this is, how, this is Jesus pouring out his love on your life. Just talk amongst yourselves. That was good. There's the love of God. Now I can... Where are you? You are so buried under the love of God that now when you begin to look at the other human being that used to drive you crazy, you just look at him. What do you see? Oh, you don't see him. You know why? They're buried under the love of God. Buried. St. Ignatius in the 16th century wrote a 30-day spiritual exercise, 30 days of exercises. And the last, the crown jewel of Ignatian spirituality from the 16th century, he was writing on this type of thing. And the last spiritual exercise of the, of the training of a Jesuit priest was a meditation on the contemplation to obtain divine love. Because this is what they found, and now it's been proven out for five centuries. When somebody has a revelation of the love of God, they become great lovers of other human beings, whether they deserve it or don't, without exception. But if they don't have the revelation of that in their own lives, it's awful hard to tell them to give that to other human beings. That's why from now on, when you meet somebody that's unlovable, you think of this illustration and, and you think, no, that person is just as much under that whipped cream as I am. <laughs> Jesus loves that knucklehead just as much as he loves me. And what happens is you begin to see the human race different. And 10-year runs in churches become the normative. And you'll be around 30 years from now still loving God and loving people right here in this county. Let's stand.